Welcome to The Point. My name is Andrew Paul, and today we're going to listen to an interview I took from Augie House. Augie is a master trumpet player and educator, and he's also a dear friend of mine. This is Augie. The third time we're pretending to start <laughs> this 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 uh, little podcast here. Um, so I met you at uh, proper, I suppose to say, at Phil's gig. Phil's CD release party at Drum. Yep. Right. Yeah. Were we the only trumpet players there? Was there another guy there? No, um, it was just uh, I think I was with Garrett Schmidt. Oh, Gary. I thought maybe uh, Raymond, John Raymond might have been there, but I, I couldn't remember if he was still in town then. Uh, I definitely think he was still living in New York, but I don't know if he was yeah. at that gig. So what's interesting about, uh, you know, my relationship with you is that we've been close for ever since that that day we met, but there's so much about your, your music history, your music career before I met you that... I only like peripherally uh, read about on you know Facebook or social media or whatnot. So um, most of my trumpet playing friends I've known since at least you know freshman year of college, uh, right, or around that time. But I really didn't know you until we had you know become full blown professionals in in the city. And you'd you'd been here for at least a couple of years at that point, right? I think I've been here for about a year, maybe two before I met you. Yeah, wow. but I obviously being us both from Wisconsin and have a lot of mutual friends, you know, I definitely knew your name and who you were. Oh, you're the guy. <laughs> you're the, you're the one that knew who I was. <laughs> exactly. That's funny. So you went to high school at, at, uh, what was it called again? Pius. Pi high XI. Go Popes. Pi high XI. Yeah. I, I think I had a few friends that went to Pius was, but Pius wasn't the, Brother's School of Divine Savior, though, right? That was Marquette. Correct. Yeah, because Divine Savior is all girls and Marquette's all boys. So, what what were you doing in high school then? Who were you studying with, and you know what kind of stuff turned you on? Yeah. So, like, I feel like in Milwaukee, you, you either do all the youth orchestras, uh, MISO, Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra. Um, you were in MISO. Yeah, I was. I actually think I looked up a program, and we were in one of them together. But you played violin. You played violin. Um, I did. I played trumpet in my later years, but yeah, I started playing violin. We were the same band together. I think we were in the Philharmonic together or the Senior really? Symphony. So I did all those, and then there was also one at UWM called Uway. See, I was in I was in Gimway back when it was Greater Milwaukee Youth Symphony. Yeah. And when I was thinking, I was like, why didn't I do the jazz one? Like that, you know, because it's not like I wasn't into jazz or anything like that. Sure. Um, but I never really took lessons at the conservatory until my senior year of college. I met Mark Davis and mm -hmm. like went to a couple of clinics and things like that. But uh, at Pius, the band director was Jim Van Dusen, who is like really well respected uh, in the community and a, an amazing teacher and educator. Uh, I was lucky to have him. And like we did so many festivals and things like that that I guess that's just kind of the direction we went. I took trumpet lessons with Pat Backus, who's great. Right, yeah, yeah. She taught, uh, not taught, but she directed the uh, brass band my mother played in for a long yeah, time. Yeah, she's like way into brass bands and like, you know, yeah. uh, the history of like the cornet and, you know, that kind of, it was, it was great. 
She's a great teacher. Nice. Uh, love studying with her. You know, so I had like just the fundamental trumpet playing coming from from that side, and then, you know, V, uh, Jim Van Dusen, we call V. He kind of took care of everything jazz. You know, he'd bring in great guest artists to the high school. I remember they brought in Maynard my freshman year. Really? Yeah, Maynard did a concert at uh, at our high school, and that was like the first time. I think that rings a bell. Yeah, that was like the first time I ever heard trumpet like that. I was like, wow. oh my gosh, this, and we got to meet him afterwards and he was super nice and all those guys. And his, I still have the autograph poster uh, in a storage unit somewhere um, because I live in New York and don't have room for anything. <laughs> but um, he would bring in people like Chris Vidala, um, who was an amazing saxophone player, played with Chuck Mangione, um, who he's mm-hmm. friends with. And there was another trumpet player uh, in Milwaukee, um, Jeff Petrangelo. Did you know him? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. He would bring in him. And, you know, seriously, I never thought Jeff really got the credit that he was due. You know, unfortunately, he's passed since. But, yeah, I mean, he was scary good trumpet player. Rick would talk about him when when Rick was first coming. I mean, Rick's not all that much older than we are, I guess, uh, another generation, but not too much older. And he would talk about Jeff when he was really on his game. Yeah. Back back when the estate was like a seedy place. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, I never really hung too much to the estate, which is so weird, too, because I grew up walking distance to the estate on the east side. Right. You know, I just uh, I never got in those circles, I guess, you know. I mean, it was my experience there in high school was I mean, they were letting me in alone to drink. Right. <laughs> I think I was 17. Uh, Wisconsin, oh, that's Wisconsin for you, but. It was, I mean, I, I remember a lot of times being very young and being offered lots of hard drugs before it, it, the estate was cleaned up there. No. I mean, I also did this group called Kids from Wisconsin as well. Right. So there, that's a whole nother kind of corner of Wisconsin that, that people do. Sure. You know, and I did it when I was young. I was 15 um, when I did my first year. I ended up taking a break. Well, I shouldn't say I took a break. I auditioned the next year and didn't get in. Um so, but they're, uh, they're regretting that now. Uh, so then they called me a few years later and said, <laughs> would you audition again? Mm-hmm. Um, I said, and said oh, go fuck yourself. Well, I think I didn't say that, but I was like, oh, I think I'm good this year. But then the next year, like I had another buddy who was in it or something like that. Someone convinced me audition right. and I did it for two more years when I was in college. Um, oh, I actually didn't know they had college members and kids from wisconsin that's great yeah you can be the age group is 15 to 20 and that's where i first met gotcha. dan dan Ernest. uh right. who we, he was who just we, on a group routine this week i haven't seen him in a long time that's where we first met and you know uh i feel bad with him because like he had to deal with 15 year old augie and i mean 36 year old augie is no walk in the park either so i can only imagine <laughs> that uh i can only imagine how much worse it was before I knew uh, anything. Don't be I, silly. Yeah. Um, did you ever come play the jazz festival in Eau Claire with Pius? We did. Yeah. Yeah. I bet I, I like heard about you or heard you or something like that. I, I remember something about the program at Pius and being a connected. Maybe we came and played at uh, Pius during a jazz tour or some. I mean, not that I remember anything from those jazz tours because we were likely <laughs> pretty drunk most of the time. But. Uh, I, I feel like I remember. Something I see a about I see a pattern of alcohol and hard drugs in your past, Andrew. Do you want to? Should we lay down um, and talk about this? 
I definitely didn't do any hard drugs at the at the Jazz Estate uh, or, <laughs> or at Pius or during Jazz Festival. We, yeah, but we got we got a little. Uh, we'd like to have a couple beers back then. Yeah. Not much no, I remember jazz. the Jazz Festival being great, you know. And I auditioned to go to college <clears throat> at Eau Claire, you know. And I went oh, and shit. I drove and I drove up and I took a lesson with Mr. Baca. Um, it was great. It just, um, I guess, the only real reason I went to Roosevelt instead of Eau Claire is I just. I think I wanted to be more in a city, and right. I actually, oddly enough, I think Roosevelt offered me more money to go to school there. I think I got a full ride, sure. or, and so I was nice. like, oh, and Eau Claire was going to cost me like maybe five hundred dollars a semester or something like that. I was like, oh, I'll just you know, save myself the five hundred. It was something stupid. Like it wasn't because I didn't like it or I didn't want to study with Mister Bach or anything like that. Eau Claire is such a different animal these days, and I I think about when I was looking at. Uh, college i either wanted to go to msm or uh you know my dad knew everybody in eau claire professionally speaking and my brother mm -hmm. went there so it was either go to a state school and save some of the bread um or throw my hat in and going to a big city but now these kids like eau claire is you know obviously it's such a different animal and obviously we don't need to be in cities anymore i wonder how kids these days deal with that so who did you study with that uh, Roosevelt, what was the experience like in, in Chicago? I guess I don't know much about Roosevelt. Is, is it in the city? Yeah, it's right downtown. Yeah, it's right downtown on Michigan and Congress, uh, South Loop. Nice. And I'm trying to think, it's like really close to Symphony Symphony Hall, like three, four blocks away. Um, mm -hmm. it, it was great. It's definitely it was like a conservatory mindset, you know, like... Mm -hmm. like very pro classical and jazz is cool. But, you know, I was lucky because I studied with Rob Part. <clears throat> excuse me, Rob Parton was amazing. Mm -hmm. He's teaching down. Uh, he's actually just got the gig at UNT with, with Phil. Um, oh, great. Now he's the chair down there, but he was great. And then one year uh, I took one year lessons with Roger Ingram too. Um, so that must be yeah. fantastic. Huh? Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I took is Roosevelt. A, yeah, is Roosevelt a, a conservatory? Yeah, it's Chicago College of Performing Arts of Roosevelt University. Uh, wow. Yeah, and actually, so at no the time, like general education credits or any of that bullshit. Correct. Which is like, oh, I think that's, that's another was another reason. I will. I fully admit, and it's funny coming from the guy who has a doctorate, but I fully admit, I <laughs> I am not a school person. Like, I'm not an academic, like in any mm -hmm. way, shape, or form. Like. I think a lot of my teachers are like, oh my God, please don't put them in my class because, you know, I just, <laughs> I just didn't like going to class. Um, right, yeah, I hear you. You know, especially like musicology and like, oh, you know, you're, you're into so many different things and, you know, you think you know everything when you're 18, which you don't know anything. And, right. you know, you, I was probably just a huge pain in the ass. Um, mm. But yeah, I only had to take like one non-academic class per semester. Or like one non-music academic right, class, right, right. you know. Um, you think that which, benefited benefited you? Um, yeah, I do actually. I especially because I wanted to play. You know what I mean? Right. I, I've seen so many guys that went to like non-conservatories, and they're like, "Oh man, I got this biology project." Dude. I'm like, "What? You play yeah. the trumpet? Like, why are you doing biology?" And it is good. You know, I mean, this the education system was built for a reason. My wife's in education. Like, I have a, a ton of mm -hmm. respect for it. It's just not my, 
uh it's not my thing um yeah but and i get why they do it and it's and it's good but i think that when you're doing something so specialized like music it's it doesn't always make the most sense Mm -hmm. you know um yeah i had a lot of time uh a lot of trouble with my general education classes in eau claire but if that was a you know being young and dumb and not going to class you know i was very capable and i enjoyed a lot of it but again i was you know failing classes because i wanted to go do gigs and yeah you want to just not showing up you want to play the trumpet because yeah you're you're 18 and you're like this is the most amazing thing and i don't have any parental supervision anymore and (laughs) you know it's like so I, i definitely do think the conservatory was like a very good good call and good the, the fact you. yeah and the faculty at roosevelt was was amazing um you know the the theory professors were great there i remember um and the whole jazz faculty was like pretty incredible not only from a playing standpoint but you know it, it was really a community of of teachers that had you know they had your best interest at heart mm-hmm. you know and i felt like that really helped my development as a player and a person. What kind of uh, paradigm is uh, w- was taught there? You know, like I guess what trunk of the trumpet pedagogy tree did you originally learn from? Even back to Pius, like what was Pat Backus teaching? Right. Um, I mean, a lot of Arbins, a uh, ton of Arbins, and then um, you know, I would do. I really didn't work on like jazz with Pat. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I would just work on like fundamental trumpet playing. So, you know, I did Charlie A, I did, uh, like so much Arbins, which is great. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of solos and solo repertoire, things like that. Different, uh, you know, the Halsey Stevens, the Artunian, you know, the Hummel, mm-hmm. the Haydn, all of those things. Um, you know, just to be a good fundamental trumpet player. You know, it's a lot of fun to, uh, play a, the basics with somebody that didn't come from a Mr. Adams stand, like from from an Eau Claire or a Mr. Mm-hmm. Adams standpoint, because uh, you use a, a lot of the Arbins a lot differently than uh, than I do. Yeah. And in fact, you know, it was just the other day you were talking about playing with an Eau Claire student, and we were talking about where we start that Arbin set at the beginning of the book. Yeah. Um, and. Like I had one of those moments, like, why haven't I ever played eight, nine, ten? <laughs> right. You know, those those first couple. And uh, so I took out my book, and I was working with a a kiddo, um, and uh, he's not quite yet ready to play. You know, number eleven on uh, on that first bit of Arbins, and I thought to myself, maybe we'll play those couple before. I mean, I remember Augie talking about that. Why the hell haven't I ever played those? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're. You can't go wrong, you know, and I'm doing yeah. a thing now. It's crazy, you know, being in the position we are as musicians in a global pandemic with pretty much everything shut down, um, you know, and you have like the actual ability to be almost like you're in college again from a practice standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just been going through the Arbins book and trying to play everything what the suggested metronome marking is and like play it mm-hmm. like absolute perfect before I move on to the next one. Yeah. Um, which has been a super fun. And I, 
and I haven't just started at the beginning, like, you know, because there's different sections. So, like, there's the first one, which is, like, you know, articulation and the, the rhythmic session with the syncopation. And, like, so I take that se- as one section. Then, you know, I'll practice whatever out of that section. Then I'll move to the, you know, the flexibility slur section and work on how far I can get in that. And then I work on to the preparatory exercise. You know, so you're going through each section. Let me ask you this. I want to uh, lean on one point of not moving on until it's right. I know that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but for like any trumpet players that might be listening to how you approach that stuff, what does that mean? Because when I, when I'm practicing uh, Arvin's, if, if I'm really paying attention and I'm not just trying to get some muscle uh, weightlifting done, that either means playing it, su- you know, obviously super slow, mm-hmm. uh, recording myself a lot. But then at some point you go, I'm not sure I'm going to get this any better. I, I got to move on here. Like what, what does that really mean? Nuts and bolts to not stop until it's right. Yeah. I mean, obviously to the suggested tempo, you know, if it says 120, then I won't move on until I can play it at that tempo. Uh, and mm-hmm. what I mean by right, I, it's in tune. I didn't miss any notes. Um, it's musical. You know, like the whole thing, like, would you would you be happy with that take if it was recorded and played for the whole world right. to hear it? Like, what do you do to, to kind of check yourself when you're doing that, uh, especially if you're in the zone? Maybe you're on, you know, the, the second hour of that set. Like, how do you how do you hold yourself accountable during that? Kind yeah, of I mean, it's funny you say the second hour of that set. So, like, I only practice in 45 minute increments. I think that's all my brain is Mm. really capable because when you're practicing like that, it's super Mm -hmm. high focused, right? So like your brain is going to fatigue, your chops are going to fatigue because you're kind of trying to like take these itty bitty details, you know, and really just like Mm -hmm. turn it the, you know, the, the smallest amount, you know? So, um, to hold yourself accountable, it's, it's like anything else. Like, you know when you've had too many cookies out of the cookie jar. Mm. You know you know when you're eating crappy. Right. You know when you're skipping workouts. You know we've been doing this for you know long long enough where you know if it's good or not. And it's just are you going to be honest with yourself? And right. the people who are honest with themselves are are our heroes, the Winton Marsalises, the mm-hmm. you know the the guys who who took the time and wouldn't move on until it was right. You know. Right. That's been a big part of. Uh what I've tried to tell kiddos and like whenever I'm giving a masterclass or a talk to uh, people that are trying to uh, put together their practice habits is, is that precisely why practice it if you're not going to try to get it right. Yeah. I was teaching a student earlier today and he kept practicing it and playing it wrong. I said, why don't you just slow it down so you can play it right? Because all you're doing (laughs) is practicing how to play it wrong, you know, which is, which is a big thing. It's, you know, it's like, why would you ever, well, first of all, it's such a waste of time, you know, right. of which, you know, we live in New York where, you know, there's always a lot going on. You're trying to be as most efficient as possible, you know, like when you're putting your mm-hmm. apartment together, it's so, so tiny, like everything has to be in the most perfect spot for the apartment to function in the, mm-hmm. in like a high capacity. And it's the same thing when you're practicing, you know, you just, you just have to, you just have to be honest with yourself. Yeah. You really got to dig in. Can't screw around with that. Yeah, I love the the tools that we have at our disposal these days to to do that. I, I really wish there was a such an immediate means to check yourself back when 
we were doing our, you know, like our foundational shedding as young people. Cause even now I'm taking out my phone every five minutes to, to say to myself, how good, how well did I really play that passage? Let me, let me put this on myself right now and, and, and double yeah. check. I had a mini disc player. Remember those? Oh yeah, bro. I've got a, bo- a bag of mini discs, classic stuff. And I, I don't have a mini disc player that works. Do you have one that works? Uh, you know, I lent it to someone and I never got it yeah. back. You didn't lend it to me. I didn't. I didn't take it. I don't know. No, I like in college. Someone's like, oh, I really need. Oh, okay. to rec- I really need to record this thing. You know, I was like, oh yeah, man, man, whatever. And then like you know, they probably weren't a thing anymore. The iPhone came yeah. out. You could record everything on your iPhone or a Zoom. Well, I, I had much. I I probably had a good ten years of mini disc uh, stuff before. I mean, I think the iPhone was two thousand seven, and yeah. I uh, started college and you know before. <laughs> way before it um, so i still have i still have piles of mini discs yeah everywhere that's great so what what do you typically tell young people when they're looking at the same or they're they're after the same trajectory that that you have been on perhaps this whole time um because I, I you know i've spent enough time in higher education you know day in and day out that you know, my opinions are filtered through my eyes of my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so even when I try to give kids the most <clears throat> unfiltered view, it's really difficult. Yeah. Uh, what do you What do you tell people that are looking for that transition from high school into college? Um, well, I first tell them like, be cool and probably don't say as much as you think you should. All right, <laughs> like listen. Listen, listen, listen. Mm. You know, I was, I was talking to, uh, to Lori Frank once and I was on this recording session. I was, I was getting frustrated and I said, you know, you think I should say something? And she said, uh, never pass up the opportunity to say nothing at all. Mm -hmm. You know? And I was like, wow, that is like the best, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten, you know? Um, cause there's nothing worse than too many, too many chefs in the kitchen, you know, of people mm-hmm. and it, you're just never going to go wrong if you listen, you know, like take in your environment, listen, uh, practice, you know, practice more mm-hmm. than you think you should, but not just like, you know, it's not just like, Oh, I was in the practice room for this amount of time, three hours. Like, right. You could be there for an hour and accomplish the same amount. Like, really make your time worth it, you know, because as you get older, as you know, uh, Mm -hmm. you're only going to get busier with things that aren't music, you know? Mm -hmm. So now is really your time to, to try and lay that foundation where when you are busier and you have more responsibilities that you're not going to be worrying about it because you know, you've done the work. You know, what's bananas about that point, uh, is that it's made often that's, that's what I was told when I was, you know, 18 and going into college. And I remember sitting in those master classes going, Nope, I'm going to do it different. I'm going to change this. <laughs> yeah. This is no, not going to be the way it is for me. You know, and of course I was, you know, incredibly wrong. Um, Cause everything you just said is the, is the guy's honest truth. Actually, the pandemic has turned has turned it on its head, um, and that's what has been the silver lining of this incredible tragedy that we're experiencing right now. Is that when's the last time you had this much time to practice? 
Never. Never. Like college. Yeah. yeah. College, right. College, yeah. you know. Uh, the second we got into the pandemic, something just hit me and I said, don't screw this up. You know, yeah. Barbara, this could be two weeks, two months. Yeah. God, I hope it's not two years, but we're never going to have this opportunity again. Yeah. I, and I hope we don't, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, I actually kind of took a lot of time off at first. I mm-hmm. um, was thinking, wow, I'm never going to be able to take this kind of time off where I don't have to worry about about getting right back to it, you know, because like mm-hmm. I've gone on vacations or whatever. And, uh, you know, I went to Italy once. I said, I just got to leave the trumpet at home. And I, yeah, I, I it was the first time I really did that. It was like two weeks. Yeah. I was like, I'm just, I got to clear my head. I got to do this. And I kind of took that same approach for this. I was like, I don't know if it's going to be, like you said, two weeks or two months, but like, I'm not going to rush into anything. I'm not going to mm-hmm. like automatically just start shedding eight hours a day. Like, I'm actually going to take the time to decompress, and then I think I'll be more successful when I do pick up the trumpet again. I'm gonna I'm gonna want to work, and it's and it's gonna mm-hmm. feel fresh, you know. And yeah, I I just happened to be at the right precipice to to dive incredibly in because right before quarantine hit, um, I was trying to take every extra minute I could to find a spot to play a couple mm-hmm. notes. And then when we finally got the time, I said to myself, oh, this is great. I I can play without feeling rushed or working for a gig because the last 12 years, 15 years of my practice have been like, oh, my God, don't screw this up. Uh, you got to play those four notes right. So, you know, the practice went to those damn four notes instead of trying to make the most beautiful sound. Right. uh, Fundamentally speaking. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, and I've I've explored, you know, different things that I wouldn't normally explore, like the past six weeks I've just been playing on a three C because I can, I want to know, and I want to know what that's like, you know, typically I've, Mm -hmm. what I've done New York, I'm required to play, you know, lead in a big band or a Broadway or whatever the case may be. It's not set up for that kind of equipment, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, and I'm like, well, what if I just do this? Like never going to have the opportunity just to see what happens if I throw in a three C and like, I'm, you know, I'm actually really loving the mouthpiece, which is so funny. Cause I, I don't think I've played a three C since high school, you mm-hmm. know, and I've been talking to Vince DiMartino a little bit and other friends like, Oh man, this is, this is feeling good. They're like, yeah, it's a great mouthpiece. It promotes good habits. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it does. You know, but yes. now I'm starting to freak out, but like what's going to happen when I need to play like, you know, mm-hmm. commercial, lead trumpet again <laughs> what am i gonna play because well, it can't be a 3c how often uh i don't see you on the on gigs or the the few gigs that we've done together doing a whole lot of uh costume changes it's, you don't do that typically when you when you're on aladdin right you're, you're just playing on your one piece the entire time yeah yeah which you know uh, there was a whole thing about when i lost weight like god i really just can't find something comfortable on my face anymore um mm-hmm. You know, I did the whole the whole gamut of like, okay, let me try this. You know, the search for the magic mouthpiece when it's, you know, now like thinking back, I was like, man, I probably should have just stuck on whatever I had and just practiced my fundamentals again. Not that I mm-hmm. ever lose your fundamentals, but like it's definitely a different approach to playing them now where you have the time as opposed to mm-hmm. like I'm, I need to warm up so I can play this gig. You know, mm-hmm. it's a different kind of – headset into the fundamentals and which fundamentals are a priority because 
you want to set yourself up for success for the rest of the day where right now maybe you could you know you're not so worried about what you have to play later that day perhaps so it's mm-hmm. like you know it's just a different different mindset but yeah i'm not someone who typically just switches mouthpieces or does you know different things on yeah a i have a hard time with that one when i'm when i'm on like a rehearsal big band gig or and i know that's a great time to try new things and whatnot but when the guys pull out like the the mouthpiece pouch with 17 mouthpieces in it and <laughs> i'm like I, I wouldn't even know where to begin with that. Like, I don't even yeah. have 17 mouthpieces, much less to bring them to a gig. <laughs> exactly. A guy a guy called me today to order some trumpet books. He has a shop upstate. And mm. uh, he goes, if you're ever in the area, let me know. I We have the biggest mouthpiece collection, something about a crazy big mouthpiece collection. And he goes, mm-hmm. yeah, we calculated that we could do up to like 25,000 different combinations of mouthpiece i was like i i said that actually sounds terrifying to me he goes oh, I, could, you know? I was like yeah that's like that's just like playing with fire right there it's like you know yeah it's i'd it's have crazy. a lot of a lot of trouble with that i've been playing on the my current 3c for at least uh at least 10 years and before that i was playing on a a Bob Reeves 3C that was a Jerry Hay version of or something like that. Yeah. And before that, I was playing on another 3C. So this is... Yeah, I mean, exactly. You, you've given me a couple of your... Uh, um, where are they here? These, these Warburton's that, uh, from a couple of years ago. Yeah, my buddy Tyler yeah. sent those to me and I and I just gave them to you to, to mess around with. They're really difficult to play on. <laughs> yeah, I didn't quite realize how small they are. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're small for small mouthpieces. Yeah. I didn't really realize that when I yeah. was, cause yeah. I was playing, you know, cause I was playing smaller equipment obviously than I am now. Um, yeah. so it's like, Oh yeah, it's, that's like, that was my version of a three C basically. What do you go to? Um, like when you're playing Aladdin 17 times a week, what, what is the equipment you're using? I mean, I know you play a bench, but what, what, what else? Yeah. I was playing a, um, like a Warburton 6M, which is like equivalent to a Bach 7D maybe. Or sometimes mm. I play a 5M, um, just depending on what chair I was playing. If I had to play lead, probably the 6M. Mm. Playing third and playing the 5M. Um, mm. But now I'm not sure what I'm going to do because the you know, the 3C feels so good. I'm going to have to kind of reassess when I go back. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I'm a it's made me a much more efficient player again, Um, you know, without having to worry about the gigs. And Mm -hmm. there's definitely, there's a, there was a whole thing, you know, when you lose a bunch of weight, just it kind of changes your face a little. Um, Yeah. That's, I mean, it really is not a joke, but you're not the only person that I've, I've had, I've heard had that experience. I mean, I've not lost the kind of way you lost, but I, I do feel like it's prepared me differently for not my face, uh, in my case, but uh, my breathing apparatus is a little different, right? Um, and all the muscles that you know probably weren't as engaged, I'm just a little bit more aware of. Yeah, is there a is there a number of how much weight you lost? Because it was a lot. It's like between eighty and ninety pounds at this point. That's such an accomplishment, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean now now I feel like in quarantine I'm starting to like it's starting to creep back on. I feel like mm-hmm. just a little, but. 
just with the holidays and everything like that, you know, I've just sure. told myself, oh, I, I got to get back on it. You know, Packers are out of the Super Bowl, out of the playoffs. I can, I don't have to eat wings every week anymore. And, uh, and now fucking Tom Brady. Uh, I'm going to break something. If we start talking about Tom Brady, <laughs> <laughs> if, if for any Buccaneers fans out there, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Did you see, We'll switch. Did you see Aaron Rodgers' MVP speech? Did you see that thing about how like he, they apparently thanked Jody Foster or something? He thanks Jody Foster, and he revealed to the world that he's engaged. You know, engaged. Yeah, but he didn't wild. reveal to who, right? But Mm-mm. but sources say it's. Uh, they I think they had talked about. Uh, they had revealed that they were dating, but it was recently. Also, I think it was before the new year. Yeah, um, that he said he was in a relationship, and now of course they're engaged. Yeah, oh, good uh, for him. Yeah, good for them. So anyway, we get, but we're bobbing and weaving in here. But I want to move from your undergraduate at Roosevelt. You got a master's there, also. No, I did my. I went down to Miami for master's and doctorate. Oh, that's right. Gotcha. And you picked Miami. Why? Um, it was either between Miami and DePaul, and I just thought. I got a full ride to Miami with the TA. Why not mm-hmm. try a new city? You know, uh, sure. I've done Chicago for four years now. I like this city. Uh, will it be the best thing for my musical growth? Probably not. I'll probably start, you know, doing the same things. I was already doing the same things, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the club date bands and the same big bands. And I just thought, here's an opportunity to go live somewhere else and try new things and, you know, and, and it, was financially a smart move too with you know getting the full ride in the in the ta ship you know what i think is uh especially fantastic about that particular path is i often press upon students to have new experiences you did that without looking too far into the end game like you have quite a bit of united states metropolitan experience before coming to new york which was did did you feel like that was going to be the end game no matter what? Like you, you could go to 17 other cities, but you were going to end up here? Or did you feel like Miami might be the end? I just, I didn't think about it. I just kind of mm. was like, you know. In the moment gonna, a little bit then. Yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what happens here. And, you know, I don't love Miami as a city. It's a great school. It's a great place to go vacation, but it's mm-hmm. not... It's not the city that I would call home, you know? And I never mm-hmm. felt that way the whole time I was there. I loved it. I loved going mm-hmm. to school there. I love the experiences I've had there. You know, some of my best friends are still down there. But it never felt like home. Like, Chicago felt like home. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. it's very close to our home of Milwaukee. Um, and then when I... I actually didn't have a real plan to get up to New York. It just kind of organically went that way. Of You mm-hmm. know, I started subbing on... Maria's band and then Allie moved up here to go to Columbia for her masters while I was still down in Miami and she she's always wanted to be in New York like far mm-hmm. before me um I never even really thought about it you know uh I'm not that organized or smart so uh mm-hmm. she she was she was up here and I started working with Maria's band and I said hey New York seems like it could be a cool place to be as the next move uh Right out of college, I applied to a teaching gig uh, and mm. in Charlotte, which I made. I got through some interviews. I don't know if I made it to the final interview, but I was mm-hmm. considering that too. 
So, and Allie was, she goes, yeah, I'd, I'd live in Char- Charlotte. Why not? Um, but it ended up, you know, I think it happened the way it was supposed to happen. And you yeah, got to trust the process. I often think about the roads not traveled. Um, you know, when I first met Laura, she had received a, like a really great job, uh, like final stage interview in uh, L.A., Mm-hmm. And I had just had a few friends that moved to L.A. and were starting out in that journey. And I kind of thought, am I, am I going to move to L.A.? Is this a good idea for us? My perspective was a little different because I've always been hell-bent on being here, even mm-hmm. when I was in Eau Claire. Even though I still loved Eau Claire and I love Wisconsin and I love going home. And maybe we'll call it home again, you know, sometime in our, our future. Yeah. But New York was always like, nah, it's, this is the city I have to be in. Yeah, I mean, now that I'm here, like, you know, you, obviously we just bought a place here. Like, we have no intention of leaving. Right. Uh, love New York and the energy and, you know, just the way it pushes you. One thing I think is interesting is that you didn't have this plan to necessarily to end up here. It's not as if you were practicing the last eight years of your education to be a Broadway player. You just happened to be one of the best trumpet players in the country. And that worked out for where you were going to be. And the paradigm I often see is that students like in Wisconsin or, you know, various other places in the country, they're like, I'm going to move to New York and I'm going to be a Broadway player. Well, that's, that's such a weird, I shouldn't say weird. It's, it's a much different concept than it used to be. You know, Mm. Broadway was never such a sought after gig, you know, from my experience of talking to the guys who've been doing it, you know, Mm -hmm. is like, you didn't you didn't ever like want a Broadway show. Like that was like the third tier of like player. Mm-hmm. Like you wanted to go on the tours, you wanted this, but now, you know, the way that the industry's changed and, and everything that they're highly desirable gigs now. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think like if you were to ask, like, you know, I sit next to Don Downs in at Aladdin, who's like one of the most mm-hmm. unbelievable lead trumpet players. If you ask Don, like, like, Hey, were you practicing to be a Broadway trumpet player? He would he would laugh, like laugh right <laughs> in your face, you know. Uh-huh. He was like, "No, I wanted to go on the road with Woody, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what he did." And then I wanted to do, you know, and I was working in uh he he did a lot in uh like Philly, Atlantic City, and New York. I mean, he was really busy in all of those places. Um and you know, you'd never he would never say, "Oh yeah, I wanted to be a Broadway trumpet player that that like really wasn't a thing back then which is so uh-huh. interesting how it's how it's changed because a lot of like it it's not just for trumpet like mm-hmm. woodwind players you know they're like seriously starting to shed like doubles maybe they wouldn't have previously shed like mm-hmm. you know you have to be able to play bassoon now and uh-huh. and saxophone and you know the the guy on the Mark Thrasher who plays the low rechair at Aladdin plays Barry he plays alto, he plays clarinet, he plays flute, bassoon. Like those are some crazy those aren't the normal doubles that you're gonna see in a big band. You know? Right. Uh it's it's crazy. Well, when you came to the city, you didn't have Aladdin already. You worked into that position. Yeah, I was just subbing on different shows. I was lucky because I had been playing with Maria's band before I got here. I was gonna say, right, that that kind of helped the segue into the city. Yeah, that made it a very smooth transition, which I am extremely fortunate i was extremely fortunate to have and it's been aladdin the whole time my own show is aladdin yeah but i subbed on you know i subbed on nice work if you can get it or how to succeed in business anything goes spider-man 
uh, Porgy and Bess, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. You know, I subbed on a ton of shows before I got my own chair. It's really uh, great to hear those examples because there's only so much room we could put in our bios these days. So a lot of the the stuff that we do just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to drop in there. Right. But you you played a ton of shows. You know, you've been on a zillion records that I don't think everybody's aware of just because <laughs> there's only so many things you can put on your website these days. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, if you want to go buy a Pitbull CD, you can do that or you can buy Build Your Range. And I think you know which one you want people to buy. So that's yeah. the one we advertise, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting how, you know, when you're young – at least this is my experience. And, and I think you've had a similar kind of experience. When you're young, you just want to play with everybody. And mm -hmm. as I get older, like I want everyone to play with me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't say that True. from an egotistical standpoint, but you know, you, you start to assess musically what you really want to do. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm having the most fun when I'm on stage at Birdland, you know, with, with a quartet and just messing around and having, you know, bringing a guest artist or two or, you know, working on a record with you or two records or, you know, like that's when I'm having the most fun. And, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I love the other gigs too, you know, um, love the travel, but at a certain point I, I kind of had committed to, I want to do my own thing and I, mm -hmm. I want to make a living doing that because, I don't really want to have to rely on anybody else to pay my rent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh, Mike Davis told me that he goes, cause he's great. He's got his whole hip bone and I was doing the mm -hmm. book and I was doing different things. And I said, man, that's so great. He goes, yeah. I was like, you think I want to like rely on the phone to ring like that? I have mm -hmm. to have a Broadway show. He's like, that's the icing on the cake is like, you get to do that and do your own thing, you know? Um, which I think if I were to go back and tell my younger self, it'd be like, yo, you need to start your own stuff sooner, mm -hmm. you know, because because now we're playing catch up. I'm playing catch up yeah. for sure. No, I mean, my musical career has obviously been all very different than than yours. But that's one piece of advice I wish I would have also taken earlier is that, um, you know, I've, I've been a collaborator at every step of the game and I've been, I've loved it. And I've honed that skill and I'm good at it. Um, but now a lot of what I do is really dependent on, on using that skill. And my next project is certainly going to be, you know, much more dependent on the actual notes that I play. <laughs> right. And that I sing. And um, it's I'm happy that we have these skills of being in large large groups and enjoying that experience and being a good uh, band member. Uh, but now it's time to flex that, that other muscle. And, and uh, yeah, you know, you, know, you, you want to, you obviously like have your heroes that you look up to in the bands, you know, like the Dave Liebman's, the Maria Schneider's, the, you know, the John Pizzarelli's and you're thinking when you look at those people's careers, like when did they start doing their own gigs as leaders? And like, mm -hmm. it was definitely when they were like 18 and, and or yeah. 19, you know what I mean? And, and I do think that it was a different, a bit of a different, you know, music uh, layout back then, you know, it was a little, I think it, it might've been a little easier to more places to play more mm. influence from record labels, things like that. Um, right. But uh, like, would, would, would Andy Neasley be 
the guy everyone wants to play with if we would have started that at 18 19 you know right. would we would we be on saturday night live if you start those things you know it's an interesting question and, I, and that's what i encourage young people i was like listen you could be the absolutely you could, you could be the next whatever you want you could be the next bruno mars but you have to start mm-hmm. something you know and, and i think that a lot of people struggle with just the starting of something well bro that's what i've been talking about this is the fourth or fifth um fireside chat i've had with friends and um what's come out of my mouth very often is you know how do we deal with ignition failure um when you're talking about a new project and you know the first step in a long journey is literally a first step and if you don't if you don't get out there and open that door and make that first step then you're already toast you got to just start doesn't matter how bad you are doesn't you know the the golden certificate doesn't come for another 10 years but you gotta start somewhere yeah you gotta just start yeah i mean how do you get discovered overnight takes years you know yeah absolutely uh overnight success yeah it's you know there it's and it's a way different thing now with social media i look at certain things online i'm like wow like people are actually posting this you know and it's like well, oh, what yeah. what are you going after you know because mm-hmm. if you want to be popular and you know, viral, that's one thing, but will that last the test of time? Like, like the Beatles or whatever the case may be, or, you know, it's, it's, there's so much more to think about now, especially with technology and the devices and social media and the posting. And I've seen 8 million posts on like how to help algorithms. And I'm like, just put out good stuff. The algorithms will sort themselves out. Man, I was looking through my, insta feed this morning and i saw all this brilliant musicianship and i thought to myself what this is all great it's inspiring i'm enjoying listening to these musicians some of which we know some of which i don't um and then i thought what are they actually doing are these are these guys actually making records because i've never heard of these people and i know a lot of people i don't know everybody but i know enough people to to say i've never heard anything come of this and I I'm, didn't get into this to make Instagram videos they're great um, but if that's your only goal and that's the um, or if that's your main goal rather you know are we actually producing any content like who's making like we got to make some records here this stuff is great and I'm right. happy that you've got a hundred thousand Instagram fans but are you are you actually contributing to the artistic uh, patchwork of our community you sure know, a lot of them aren't and that's it's an interesting thought you know because like it's great to have a hundred thousand followers on instagram but what does that put in your bank account every month because you're spending yeah, a lot of time making those videos and it's great and you know maybe that comes down to it when live music returns say hey look at all these supporters i have on instagram i can get these people to come out to my gigs now that's what mm-hmm. now that's now that's a game plan, but I feel like a lot of people go into that just like, I'm going to post all these things on Instagram and I'm going to do this. And I think mm-hmm. there needs to be a balance of it all. You know, I yeah, obviously you're, post you're right. trumpet videos on Instagram and I would love to build my following. Yeah. hundred thousand followers sounds great, but at what cost are we doing this? I had a conversation Precisely. about yeah. Nick, Nick fin- with Nick Finzer, mm-hmm. um, who is one of the hardest working entrepreneurial musicians I know you know, mm-hmm. and, and I said, man, how do you do this? Like, how do you post all these things like all the time? I was like, 
I actually get exhausted looking at your Instagram. Nick and I are great friends, so you know we can have we can have these conversations. He goes, no, it's a it's a it's a fair, honest question. So he put together a uh, like a little panel of mm-hmm. you know social media, and uh, you know people who have a lot of followers. And he goes, and I and I'm you know the big thing was like, at what cost are you doing this? Because like I'm not going to sacrifice like what I you know believe in just so I can get a few more followers and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, and I think we're, we're investing too much into that and not enough into like, who am I and what is my voice? Because those are the things yeah. that actually reach the, in the deep, deep seas, as opposed to just, just the surface, you know? And I think there's, there's a, some people might be saying to themselves, well, I don't know what my voice is yet. Um, so I think in the meantime, you should be working on discovering that voice and doing it through means that don't involve trying to build your following. Like you want to find your voice, post a zillion videos on Instagram of your process while you hone what is uh, fundamental to your musical being. Um, And then go do it and then use that voice. Uh, Doing it for, you know, the mass follows and the, the social media fame is bananas to me. Yeah. You know, like anything else, it just comes down to balance. I do think it's, mm-hmm. especially for musicians, it's a necessary evil. You know, uh, you have to have a social media presence if you want success as a musician. A hundred percent think that. Um, but don't sell your soul to the devil either. Yeah. It's got to be the sprinkles. It can't be the fucking, can't be the cake. Yeah. Don't drink the whole bottle. Just take a sip, you know. <laughs> Well, I wish that that's some advice that we could have probably taken during some of those Packers games there. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) All I know is I have a picture of a, I have a picture of a, uh, what is it? A a Truly or whatever, the hard seltzer. And you with about a 15 inch knife. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll post that in the comments of this of this blog post. Yeah. <laughs> At the very end you'll see Augie with a, a truly and me with a big knife and probably a very frightened Laura behind us taking a photo. <laughs> yeah. I think uh Alex Clayton was there thinking, hmm, that's oh, yeah, not gonna right. end well. Yeah. Uh-huh. At least she's strong enough to carry both of us out of there to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh um, yeah. Well, listen, as with a couple of other of our, our dear friends here, I, I just can't get the whole picture in, in one sitting with you. So I, I hope you'll have an opportunity to come back and chat with uh, chat with me again so we can talk even in further about this. But I really appreciated your, uh, you know, knowing a little bit more about your journey before you, before you got to New York. Um, and like I said, for all of our two listeners, I can't remember my Hi, Mom. Ha, ha, ha.